I recognize that many here today who are, you, you have things in your life either that threaten your health or threaten your financial well-being. Some of you have lost loved ones this year. Some of you are facing the loss of loved ones in the near future. And it is, it is truly is a privilege to be able to stand in the pulpit today and say that we have hope and that hope is alive because Jesus rose from the grave. And that's what I get to talk about today. Now, I'm going to start in another place. I'm going to start right after the resurrection. The, the primary passage is going to be from 1 Thessalonians today. But I want to begin right after Jesus died and rose again and, and follow up on, on some of the uh, other passages in Luke that we've been reading. There's, there's two disciples. They weren't one of the 12, so they weren't the well-known named disciples. But these were two of the guys who had followed Jesus. We know one of their names is Cleopas or Cleopas. And uh, these two disciples were, uh, they, they were leaving Jerusalem and they were on, their road, uh, on the way on the road to a town called Emmaus. It was right after Jesus had, had, had risen, but they didn't know it. The women had gone to the tomb and reported that his body was gone. They didn't know what had happened. Peter had run down there and he'd seen it was gone, but he didn't know what had happened. And so listen to this exchange. The scripture says that same day, two of them were on their way to the village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together, they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, uh, they must have been Baptist, right? Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them, but they were prevented from recognizing him. He asked them, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? They stopped walking and they looked discouraged. The one named Cleopas answered him and said, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in these days? What things? he asked him. They said to him the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. And besides all of this, today's the third day since that happened. These two guys have invested their life. They're disciples. They are followers of Christ, and they likely had invested their life in, in following him, believing in him, and trusting him, and he was their hope. In fact, they probably remember just a week before when Jesus came into the gates of Jerusalem riding on the back of a donkey in a great celebration as folks cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it looked like it was about to happen. It looked like Jesus was about to ascend the throne and he was going to help them uh, defeat the Roman government and, and Israel was going to take their rightful place as the, 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 the leader of the world. They, they, they had all of their hope invested and then they watched him flip over the tables. They watched him do miracles that week. But then they saw as he was arrested, beaten to a pulp with a cat of nine tails, mocked, nailed to the cross, and die. They didn't understand. They held out a little hope because they remember him saying something about one, on the third day he was going to rise again. And here it is the third day, and he ain't here. 
they even they they say that they had even gone to the tomb after the women and and didn't see him. So their assumption is the body had been stolen or who knows what, and they're walking dejected. The scripture says there they were discouraged. We oftentimes find ourselves in a place of discouragement in this world, a, a place of hopelessness, a place of fear. I'm here to tell you that though I've grieved, and this year I grieved the loss of my mother, and though I face deep grief at times, I have never had to grieve as someone who had no hope because of Jesus and what he did when he rose up out of the grave. Our text today comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. This is the, uh, the Apostle Paul. He had... Uh, on his third missionary journey, he'd come through uh, Thessalonica, and he had, it, was a, it was a second missionary journey, sorry about that, he'd come through Thessalonica, he got ran out of town, uh, he didn't. He got to preach there a couple weeks before the Jews came up behind him and, and ran him out of town, and he moved further south uh, to Berea, eventually down to Corinth and Athens, and while he was there, he had preached a little bit in in Thessalonica, a lot of people would come to faith in Christ, but one of the things he'd been talking to them about was Jesus had promised that one of these days he was going to return. And so he's gone now. Paul has been pushed out of town, and he he hears, he gets word back from them. They had some questions, and that's a lot of what First Thessalonians does. It's kind of answering some of their questions. And one of their questions must have been that, look, we have loved ones who have died. What's going to happen to them? You say that Jesus is going to come back, but what about our loved ones who have died before Jesus came back? And in answer to that, we have this beautiful passage of Scripture in verses 13 through 18. Paul says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who have fallen asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again in the same way Jesus are through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For we say to you by the word of the Lord, we who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. We're going to spend most of our time in the first two verses here, because I want you to, to hear something loud and clear. The first is this. Paul did not tell them, don't grieve. We go through stuff in life that hurts. It just hurts. And, and, and when we face deep, painful loss, we will grieve. One way to put this is every single one of us, in one way or another, will face loss and grieve with the same kind of grief that the, the disciples experienced on Good Friday. They watched their hope, they watched their king, they watched their Lord, the one they'd invested their lives in. They watched him be beaten and brutally tortured and put to death on a cruel Roman cross. And these disciples were grieving. They were hurting. They held out a tinge of hope because Jesus said on the third day he would, he would rise again. But imagine what those disciples must have been experiencing, many of them who left their jobs, 
many of them who invested everything in following Christ to stand back. Many of them stood far away and watched Jesus take his last breaths on the cross. Their hope was dead. We can identify with it oftentimes in many ways. First of all, like the Thessalonians, many of us have faced the incredibly painful loss of someone who we love dearly. And you all know our story. We have faced uh, excruciating loss. We're where for years we prayed with hope that God would bring miraculous healing and the Lord provided for our daughter who was, when she was born, we were told that she had a slight chance of living through the first night. The Lord blessed us with 14 years, 11 months. And so we saw the, the healing and we saw times of rejoicing, but we always had hope that the Lord would, would heal her to a point that she would live to adulthood and live a full life. If we faced that suffering and that death, we stood next to her, her body as she took her last breaths in a treatment room at Dallas Children's Medical Center. We know the pain of grief. Every single one of us at some point or another in our life will face that suffering, that pain of grief. Sometimes actually, sometimes potentially. Sometimes, some of you may very well today be concerned about a loved one who has a, a horrible diagnosis of unoperable cancer or, a, or some other terrible diagnosis. And so you're already grieving to some extent the loss of that loved one, even though they're still breathing on this earth. We grieve for many reasons, though. Sometimes we grieve because of, of loss of a job. The, the disciples uh, lost their identity for the last couple of years. They were known as Jesus' disciples. They were the men who traveled with him. They were the men who were there when he did great miracles. Peter, Peter got to walk on the water and, and, and see Jesus actually standing on the surface of the water. He got to walk on the water himself. Peter was there when he began to lose faith and drowned, and Jesus reached down and touched him, and he came back to the surface of the water. Those guys' identity was wrapped up in Christ. They, they were grieving the loss of identity. They were grieving the loss of, of their future, their kingdom hopes. You know, one of the things that I, I would say I'm learning this, I'm kind of past it now, is uh, when I was in sociology and psychology, we studied what people refer to as midlife crisis. I kind of mentioned this a few weeks ago on a sermon. I understand math. There comes a point where I can count that there are more years behind me than what there are in front of me, right? And all of those hopes and dreams that we had as, as, as young men or young women, or we were going to do great things in this world, or we were going we to buy property, or we were going to do, uh, you know, have a wonderful job that touched all kinds of people. We reach a point where we're thinking, well, we're probably past that. And we, we grieve that, that loss of, of our dreams. And sometimes we have to grieve the loss of our dreams because we face some type of health issue or some type of setback. 
But all of those reasons cause us to grieve. These disciples had lost their identity. They lost their hopes for sitting at the right hand of Jesus in his kingdom on earth. Many of them had lost their jobs. One of the things that we grieve most oftentimes, and this goes along with that midlife crisis ideal, is we grieve our own mortality. The disciples, as they looked to Jesus' death, they understood that they very well could be next. Now, they weren't out preaching the gospel right away. They were hiding in the upper room. Until the, the, the Holy Spirit came and empowered them, they were full of fear and trepidation because they knew that those same men who had taken the life of Christ would also probably want theirs. In fact, I think that this is one of the greatest apologetics for the gospel. One of the greatest arguments that Jesus is the Lord is the fact that he rose again from the grave and you had more than 12, okay, but at least 12 men who saw it with their own eyes. They saw him die on the cross, and eventually they saw him resurrected from the grave, and every one of those guys gave up their life and died a brutal death. I mean, I'm here to tell you that Peter and James and Bartholomew and Andrew, if I were in their shoes and I had not truly seen Jesus out of the grave resurrected, when those Roman soldiers or those Jewish leaders came to me and, and tried to burn me at the stake or crucify me upside down or, or put me in a pot of oil in the Roman persecution and, and boil me in a pot of oil to death, I would have immediately said, you know what, it's just not true. I would have recanted immediately. Now, you can argue later down the road, there's all kinds of people who've died for their religion because they believed, but you, those guys knew they were there. Either they saw the resurrected Jesus or they did not see the resurrected Jesus. And in, a, in their shoes, and it wasn't just one of them. I'm telling you that somebody out of that group would have given up the, the truth that Jesus ha had not truly been raised if he had not. Those guys knew because they'd seen his body. And because of that, they, they were facing their own mortality. But here's the bottom line. They could face their own mortality now because they had seen the resurrected Jesus and they knew that it was true that he rose from the grave and they had hope of a future and an eternal life. Those men were willing to go to the cross in some cases. Those men were willing to die brutal, torturous death. Some of them to be, be, had their to be skinned and flayed into. Some of those men were willing to do that because they'd seen Jesus rise from the grave and they knew that it was true, that he was alive and that everything that he had said was the truth. So just as every single one of us will in this life face the grief of Good Friday, we will face the death of a loved one, we will face our own mortality, our own deaths, just as every single one of us will grieve. Every single one of us can share in the hope of Easter. Every single one of us can share in the hope of the resurrection. The, 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 that hope that we find in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is rooted in the cross. Paul says, grieve, but don't grieve without hope. Because he says, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and I am convinced 
I'm convinced because of what history teaches. I'm convinced because of the testimony of those disciples. I am convinced that Jesus died and rose again. And that's where I began. But I am convinced because I've seen God move in my own life in miraculous ways that just don't make sense. There's things that happen just this week. Then when I tell you the story, you go, well, you, you couldn't plan that. You couldn't put that together. That's true because there's a God who's alive who can orchestrate things in our life to accomplish his purposes that we can't accomplish in human terms. And because I see it, sometimes weekly, sometimes monthly, but I get to see as, as we walk by faith in Christ, we get to see him do things that don't make sense in human terms. I believe that it is true. And because it, I believe that Jesus died and rose again, I also believe what Paul says here, in the same way through Jesus, God will bring with them those who have fallen asleep. Here's the bottom line. Your loved ones who are in a grave somewhere, Katie, whose body is resting in a, in a, a graveside in May, Texas. My parents who are in Cedar Park, Texas, their bodies are in a graveside. I have hope that I will see them again because just as Jesus died and rose again, they also who put their faith in Christ will be resurrected. Now, right now, I believe that because of this text is part of the reason I believe this, their spirits are already with the Lord. Because he says that one of these days, the Lord's going to ascend from heaven with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God. And as he descends, he's going to bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And then he's going to raise their bodies up. And what a glorious day that's going to be. I've always said, I hope that I just happen to be preaching a funeral in the cemetery on that day. That's going to be fun. That's going to be exciting when Jesus returns. For those who are in Christ, we can all share in this hope. That hope begin at the cross. At the cross, we are justified by Christ. That means that we have been acquitted of the guilt of our sin in Christ. Because Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood for us, he paid the penalty for our sin. Second, we are redeemed from our slavery to sin. That means that in Christ, we've been set free. We no longer have to be tied to our sin and our sinful nature. We've been set free. One of the words that's often used in reference to Christ's death and the cross is that we are redeemed. It's the idea that he paid the price so that you and I no longer have to be a slave to sin and a slave to this world and a slave to our debased nature. And third, we are restored to a relationship with God at the cross. The image of that is especially well displayed. And those of you that don't know uh, the, the, this picture, within the holy place of the temple, there was a huge veil that separated the outer holy place from the holy of holies. And a, a high priest, once a year, after going through a ritual of various sacrifices, was allowed to enter behind that curtain and offer a special sacrifice once a year. And it was, it was there to, to help the Jews get this visualization of, of how holy God is and, and how filthy we are. And that it was only through all of this that you could enter behind that veil. In fact, uh, the legend says that, that they would even tie a rope on the high priest's leg so that if he entered behind the veil and he had sin in his life and he was directed, they could drag him back out. When Jesus died on the cross... Matthew tells us that that veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom, providing us an opportunity to be restored in our relationship with God. See, here's the problem. 
you and I, because of our sin, we're separated from a holy God. Every single one of us. And we could, we could argue about the sin of Adam and Eve and our parents that gets passed down to us, but you don't even have to argue over that. There's not a single person in here who has not committed sin against God. Every single one of us has. And because of our own sin, we are disqualified from heaven. We're disqualified from stepping into the presence of a holy God. And that sin has to be dealt with. That sin has to be atoned for. And that took place on the cross when Jesus died. He shed his blood so that we could be justified, redeemed, and restored and have a relationship with a holy God. Hope began on the cross, but that hope was nailed down. That hope was assured on Sunday morning because here's the bottom line. If Jesus died on the cross but stayed in the grave, then we really, after that, have no hope of eternal life. For one, it would call him out to be a liar. He wasn't really who he said he was. But there's no hope of life if death won the victory over the one who claimed to be the Son of God. But see, life is in Christ. Jesus was there in, in Genesis chapter 1 when the world was created. Jesus is the author of life, and life is in him. He said in John chapter 14, 6, I am the way, I'm the truth, and I am the life. Life is in Christ, and, and hope was assured that Sunday morning when Jesus won the victory over death and stepped out of that grave. Because of the resurrection, our grief is not fatal. Our fear is unfounded, and our death is not final. Because of the resurrection, our hope is alive in Christ. Paul's writing to the Thessalonians whose loved ones have died and they're in the grave and they're hurting over it. And Paul says, if they're in Christ, and we're going to get to that caveat in a minute because this is crucial. If they died in Christ, this isn't the end. There's a future and there's a hope for, in, for them, just like there's a future and there's a hope for you. This world is not all there is. This is a, a wonderful world that God's created. I love the beauty of all of God's creation. I love looking at the mountains. I love standing on the shores. I love God's creation. But this incredible creation that God put together for us to dwell in is just a, a, an image. It's a vapor. It, it will at one point disappear. And it, it's nothing compared to God himself and what he has prepared for us in the future. Hope rang loud that, that morning of the resurrection. I'm brought back to a, a story that uh, I've heard and I've read from my grandmother, Grandmother Callahan. Many of y'all know that my grandfather was stationed in uh, Pearl Harbor on December the 7th of 1941. He had uh, been in the Navy uh, from 1927 going forward. Uh, he had traveled all over the Pacific. He'd actually crossed uh, through the Panama Canal several times. And on December the 7th of 1941, Grandpa Callahan was on the USS Louisville, a, a Northampton-class cruiser that was escorting, uh, escorting two other ships from Borneo back to Pearl, okay? He had been stationed in Pearl Harbor for a while. They'd been there uh, almost a year. Grandma and my mom and her sister, my mom was eight years old at the time, when they first 
had moved to Pearl. I mean, what was going on into their front yard to watch the Japanese zeros low flying over their front yard. Grandma said that there were times when they were flying so low she could see the, the face of the Japanese pilots that were flying over their house. And as they, they were flying over, uh, they would hear the whiz of bullets. They eventually found uh, bullet holes in their back door. They found bullets in their trash can uh, that came from those airplanes. Eventually, the Coast Guard came and forced everybody to get back in their homes. They weren't, wasn't safe to stand out in the yard across from Hickam Field. But immediately, their mind began to go toward Dad and toward George, as Grandma called him. They didn't know where he was. They were That ship, his ship, was somewhere in the middle of the Japanese Mandate Islands, the large swath of islands in the South Pacific, east of the Philistines. Well, those of you that know your World War II history know that the Japanese invaded the Philistines at the exact same time they attacked Pearl Harbor. And so as the Philistines were being invaded, that those waters were filled with submarines, Japanese submarines that were hunting and eventually sunk quite a few American ships in those islands. Time went on, and the U.S. Navy had requested for all of the ships to identify themselves and give their location so that they would know where they were. Apparently, Grandpa's uh, commander decided he was going to go radio silent turned off everything and headed back to Pearl. But it wasn't like today where you could get a text or you could get an email or you have satellite communications. Early February of 1942, uh, yeah, that's probably about what it sounded like. Early February of 1942, Grandma got a letter from the Navy saying that that, that the USS Louisville was presumed sunk assuming that all were lost somewhere in the South Pacific the next morning the Louisville came steaming into Pearl all of her grief and all of her despair was overturned when that ship came into Pearl he was alive he was alive, and there was still hope. That morning, when Jesus rose up out of the grave, everything changed. There was no longer despair. There's no longer need for grief. He's alive. He's risen. He's resurrected. Hope was assured that Sunday morning when Jesus came up out of the grave. Paul goes on to tell us in the next three verses, though, that our hope is not fulfilled yet. Our hope was assured. It was set in stone. When Jesus won the victory over death, our future is established for those who are in him. Our future is set because of the resurrection, because Christ died and rose again. We now have hope that is assured. We haven't seen the fulfillment of it yet. We will see the fulfillment of it when he returns the scripture says one of these days christ himself will return he'll descend from heaven those who have died those bodies who have already been laid to rest they will be uh, 
brought back together. And in fact, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the scripture tells us it's not going to be the exact same body. It's going to be a, a, a restored, resurrected body that won't die, that won't get sick, that won't get cancer. It will be perfect. It will be perfectly suited for the spirit that is alive in Christ. And those of us, if you happen to be alive when Jesus returns, we're going to be caught up together in the air with him, and our bodies will be changed. Our bodies will be transformed into a body that will never die, that will never grow sick, that won't, won't face the sting of death. What a glorious day that will be. We still have that to look forward to. But I want to, before we go too much further, I want you to see this, this, this in and of itself is the good news that you and I have to hold on to. Paul says, comfort one another with these words, right? These words are this, Jesus died, Jesus rose, and Jesus is coming back. He died, he rose again, and he's coming back. Why is it that I don't fear our government? I kind of do a little bit. It's a mess. But you know what? We have a God who reigns, who is more powerful than our government. I don't fear our government because Jesus died. Jesus rose and he's coming back. Our economy is, is headed south, right? I don't fear that. Why? Because Jesus died. He rose and he's coming back. My future is established and settled in him. I don't have to fear death. I'm not afraid of death one bit. Because Jesus died, he rose, and he's coming back. And my future is established because of his resurrection. I don't have to fear judgment. Not because I'm perfect. Not because I'm good. I've got plenty of sin in my life to condemn me to death forever. To condemn me to hell. I've got plenty of sin. Whether it's in whatever area of my life, I but I don't have to fear judgment because Jesus died for my sin. Jesus rose again and Jesus is coming back. Now there's an extremely important phrase in this text that we can't miss. It's toward the end of verse 16. When the scripture says, when Jesus returns, when he descends from heaven, the dead in Christ will rise. What does that mean? The dead in Christ will, will rise. Does that mean that the dead that aren't in Christ won't rise? Yeah. The dead in Christ have hope. That phrase in Christ is used by the Apostle Paul over 80 times just in his letters because it is so imperative that we get this. I'm going to read you just a couple of the verses where Paul uses it. I want to start with one of probably the most crucial. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Redemption comes in Christ. Redemption and forgiveness does not come through any other avenue. Peter said it this way in, in Acts chapter 2. There is no other name under heaven by which man can be saved other than the name of Christ. Romans chapter 6, verse 11, Paul says, So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. But he's writing to Christians and he says, You're dead to sin and you're alive to God in Christ Jesus. Outside of Christ Jesus, you're still 
connected to your sin. But in Christ, you're dead to your sin and alive to God. Romans 6.33 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Don't stop there. Because the rest of that verse says, The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I believe from the depths of my heart that Christ died to offer an opportunity for eternal life and forgiveness for sins for everybody. I believe that his offer extends to all. John 3, 16, I believe it tells us that Christ died for the whole world. But only those who are in Christ will experience eternal life. Outside of Christ, you're still left hopeless. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation. We're redeemed in Christ. Outside of Christ, you aren't set free from the law of sin and death. One more, Romans 8, 39. This is a passage that, that so many love to quote because it, it's an encouraging passage and it gets misquoted and it gets abused uh, so many different ways. I, I, I had uh, quoted half of it. I want you to hear all of it, so I'm going to turn there real quick. Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good. How many times have you heard that verse quoted? All things work together for good. You know, if you just, if you just uh, believe or have faith, all things are going to work together. Well, all things work together for good for everybody. No, they don't. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. That promise extends down to the end of Romans 8, when he says, now in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing can separate us from the love of God. Isn't that awesome? Nothing can separate us from the love of God for those that are in Christ. So as we look at the hope that we find in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18, that hope that is rooted in the cross and in the resurrection, the fact that Jesus died and Jesus rose again and the fact that Jesus is coming back, please, please hear that hope and that life and that forgiveness is extended to everyone who is in Christ. He is the only way. That's why when Thomas gets confused in John chapter 14 and they know Jesus is about to go to the cross or getting upset and they don't really, don't really realize the, the full implication and, and, and Jesus, Thomas says, you know, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How are we going to get there? And Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Christianity 
Christ, a relationship with God through Christ is the most beautiful, but also most open religion in the world. You don't have to be a certain background. I hate calling it a religion because we talked about that last week. You don't have to be a certain color. You don't have to be a certain, uh, from a certain uh, ethnic group. You don't have to be, it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. The door, Christ opens the door for everyone, okay? But ultimately, in some ways, it's the most exclusive because the Lord tells us it's only in Christ that you have hope of eternal life. It's in him, the one who died and rose again. There's hundreds of people literally over the years that have claimed to be God. There's a lot of religions that have been launched in the name of those who claim to be God. There's only one empty grave. I'd read a story, and I'll end with this, that years ago, uh, the garden tomb, in fact, it was, it was in the 1880s, 1885, what was believed to be the garden tomb was discovered. Up until that time, there was another traditional tomb uh, that was inside the modern wall of Jerusalem that people thought that Jesus had been buried in. But when the, the garden tomb had been hidden for centuries, it was under tw 20 feet of rubbish. And when they cleared the spot, they entered with great caution. And uh, there was dust and debris in the tomb. And so archaeologists actually from uh, the Scientific Association of Great Britain uh, very carefully removed some of the, the dust and some of the dirt that was inside this tomb and had it uh, shipped for examination. And every part of that, those particles were analyzed and there was not a single trace of human remains in that tomb. Well, that's intriguing. You would think that if it was a tomb, there would be some trace of human remains in it. Even if Jesus had died and his body had been removed or it had been stolen or anything like that, even after all these centuries, they would have been able to find some trace of human remains. Apparently, that tomb was only used once. And the reason that there's no trace of human remains is because every molecule and every fiber of the being of the body of Christ came back alive and walked out of that tomb. Our hope is sure because Jesus surely rose again. I'm going to ask Matthew, or not Matthew, Corey's going to come lead us in a hymn of response. Some of you have, uh, you've already seen Max be baptized today. And some of you may be saying, man, I've never put my faith in Christ. I've never followed Christ through baptism. I'm not in Christ. If I were to take my last breath today, I would end up separated from God for eternity. And I want to know that hope, that assurance that, that I, I have a life to live beyond this world. I, I want to know that hope that when I lose a loved one and I'm grieving that it's not the end, that there's hope, there's something to look forward to. If you have never put your faith and trust in Christ for your eternal life, for your life, starting today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you and encourage you to do that today. You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Watauga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior, 
equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. If you want to know more about First Baptist Watauga or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwatauga.org and let us know. In all things, to God be the glory, honor, and praise.